the Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, insights, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Welcome back to the Radical Secular Podcast. I'm Joe Kipinti. I'm Sean Prophet. Checking the rise of theocracy is to everyone's benefit, and for obvious reasons. In terms of war, what we'll be delving in today, Europe was wracked by one religious war after another, all the way back to the fall of the Roman Empire. And liberal secular norms was the change. Once they were adopted, Europe changed and became very peaceful. We will take a look at this long-standing historical link between religion and war, particularly as it's playing out in the Ukraine. But it's not just war. It's also basic human freedoms, plurality and diversity that are at stake. On many occasions, Putin has linked this war with fighting for traditional Christian values, quote unquote. In America, you will find the highest support for Putin among evangelicals, who are likewise passing laws that infringe on the human rights of the LGBTQ community and others. Reproductive rights are under assault as well. Books are being banned and even burnt that do not conform to such traditional values. There is a direct connection between the anti-gay activism, the overall cultural assault against liberalism of the religious right, and the militancy we're seeing are witness to every day in these last weeks. Before we get to that, I want to remind you all that if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and check out our Patreon page, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Monday at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish the new articles regularly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. The Radical Secular Podcast is brought to you by Cannibal & Co., located in downtown Jersey City and at shopcannibal.com. Cannibal, that's Cannibal with a K, stocks a rotating collection of goods ranging from apparel and accessories to home furnishings and fine jewelry. Cannibal weaves together its forward-thinking vision with its traditional roots to provide an expertly curated experience of unique and locally sourced finds. We're grateful to Cannibal for sponsoring our show. Okay, let's do the t-shirt things, Sean. What are you sporting? Well, today uh, I'm wearing the Radical Secular T-shirt because uh, I couldn't think of a better, yeah, a better option. And also, <laughs> you'll probably notice I'm my background's a little different. I have moved. I'm, I'm now in Scottsdale, Arizona, yeah. uh, from Henderson, Nevada, and we have been completely discombobulated for the last uh, couple of weeks. And I don't even have internet service at, at my new house. So uh, that's why yeah. I'm, I'm at the office. And as you can see there in the background, my desk isn't even set up yet. And um, it's, yeah, a lot of change going on at the same time. And I just, you know, as every time I would think that I might want to complain about that, I, I start to think about the people sitting <laughs> in bomb shelters yeah. in Ukraine who don't have food and water. So right. that point. is, <laughs> I, I count my blessings and not in a, not in a religious sense, but just, just luck at being, in this part of the world where we still have peace and and security and uh right. that's something of course as we get into the show you know we'll be uh, uh certainly talking about the threat that war could come to u.s soil which is now more real than at any time since uh, you know the height of the cold war so 
Uh, that's yeah. my two cents for right now. <laughs> Well, I mean, and despite that, you're a trooper for doing the show. Thank you so much. I know it's been a hardship for you, but you're there. That's awesome. I appreciate it. Wouldn't miss it for All the right, world. <laughs> so, so here's my shirt. Stop, Stop Wars. Right. Now, you notice the Star, the Star Wars thing, right? But of course. Yeah, I chose red for this shirt. I just bought this because I honestly think that the new red scare is secularism, you know? And I, I think that that's what the right is really fearful of. And so uh, we're kind of in the crosshairs, you and I and, and Christoph. So <laughs> here we go. We very much are. And I mean, I think secularism as as that red scare, okay, we see that the world has been relentlessly secularizing for many, many years. And what is the most dangerous time when change is happening is when the old order is about to lose. And that is Absolutely. the same. It's the same it's as the what same. happens when a, when a, when a woman tries to leave an abusive relationship, that's when she's most likely to be killed. And right. that's what I see happening here really is that the old ways of doing things were very abusive and very uh, authoritarian, top down control, everything control, everything, uh, you know, guilt and sin. And uh, this is, the new secular order is freedom. It's uh, yeah. freedom of conscience and expression, and 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 sexuality is a part of that. Gender is a part of that, and it's something that is so fundamental to you know who you are, Joe, and who I am, and what we believe. And we can't understand how there are people who could be threatened by this, but there certainly are. There certainly are. Good. Well said. Uh, anyway, before we start uh, on the main topic, we've gotten away from having lengthy new segments in our show, but I think there are things worth mentioning before we start. Uh, the pandemic is far from over, folks. <laughs> we are not yet yeah. into the endemic phase as much as most everyone seems to think we are. The Western Pacific is currently being assaulted by the biggest waves yet, spiking cases, hospitalizations, and death rates. I mean, take a look at what's happening in Hong Kong, for example. Amazing. Um, this virus continues to surprise everyone, even the top experts. It's wholly unclear why we are seeing a resurgence of the virus in Europe at this point. The suspected reasons are waning immunity and relaxing mandates and new variants and so forth. But when you dig into those things, no clear pattern emerges. Hence, we, we have very little guidance about what will happen in the U.S. in the months to come. All we can say is it ain't over. No. Uh, second, climate change. Uh, it has been buried, buried in our collective awareness, but the dire evidence keeps piling up. We are facing a global calamity of the highest magnitude. I mean, look at the IPCC report that came out a few weeks ago. Hardly got a mention or notice, despite the fact it was singularly the most sober and startling document that institution has ever put out, by far. Another thing, third, is the economic challenges we are facing. They're mounting. China is locking down again. Uh, mm -hmm. I think they, they have got something like 70 million people locked down at this point. And that will lead to new surge, a new surge of global supply chain issues. Yeah. Inflation keeps getting worse despite all the assurances to the contrary. The most historically reliable indicator of economic problems, the yield curve inversion, just dipped into negative territory on Friday. So this is something we got to keep an eye on. Fourth, all this will play into the upcoming interim elections that are around the corner at a time when we need clarity what we have is a lot of denial and a lot of confusion. And here, we hope to help with that in the coming shows. For now, this war is taking up all the oxygen, and for good reason. 
and the culture war continues unabated. So we turn to both here, making the connection between the war and religious zealotry more explicit. But before that, Sean, what do you think of these happenings in a general sense? Is there anything you want to add to the news stories here? Well, yeah, I mean, there's it's just so much. And I think that this is what we have been talking about, what I've been talking about uh, for 20 years, and that is how the climate crisis will uh, compound all of the other problems and actually start to degrade our ability to mitigate the climate. Like it becomes it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? If if there is chaos and war, we know that Syria was a climate war. And I, I, I can't really make a climate connection with Ukraine other than the fact that uh, we know that Russia was emboldened by the fact that we didn't do anything about Syria. We let them get away with that uh, bombing and just mm -hmm. what, you know, what we talked about in our show uh, a few weeks ago about what happened with Aleppo and just the, the atrocities that we saw there that are now being repeated in Ukraine. And so exactly. this, yeah. this, uh, we can expect more chaos and, 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 and that will play into the supply chain, right? Because again, I don't know if there's a direct COVID climate connection, but nevertheless, when you do have scarcity in the supply chain, I mean, the, the, the inflation is caused by two things, right? Uh, too much money in circulation or constrained supply. Right. Uh, labor and materials. So we see that uh, there was a lot of money printing during the pandemic to provide stimulus and things like that. And at the same time, there was a supply chain problem caused by the fact that labor, you know, people were quitting, people were sick, people were dying, and we have reduced capacity as a global economy, and we still have same needs. So that's something that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, the, the climate report that you mentioned is almost dwarfed by this crazy fact that just this past week, there is a temperature anomaly in the Antarctic oh, seen of Amazing. 70 degrees, 70 degrees above normal. And we're talking about areas of the world where it's normally routinely, uh, you know, 100 degrees below zero. And now we've seen temperatures, you know, near zero. And it's, it, it, you know, so they said 70 to 90 degree temperature anomaly. And, yeah. you know, we, that's on the heels of this. They're, they're calling it a heat dome, which sounds funny in Antarctica, but on the heels of what happened this past summer in Canada, where there was a heat dome that brought temperatures up into the 120s, right? And, yeah. and this is what heat domes do. And they ha it has to do, as you explained so well on that episode, with the, uh, you know, the ideal gas law and pressure. Pressure and temperature are related. Right. And so when you have – and moisture. And, and this is what happened in Antarctica. And I think a lot of people – don't really understand who maybe haven't studied thermodynamics, what's going on there and how dangerous it is. But that is a, a, a huge wake up call for us. And so I think, I mean, I, I it, these temperatures would have been science fiction a few years ago. I mean, it just, it, it's baffling scientists, how, how intense these heat domes are. Uh, in there. And you're right. They have, there's science behind it to be sure, but they're still really baffling scientists. How, how, how quickly this is happening. And uh, you're right. You're absolutely right that it all compounds. I mean, if we do end up in some other, some 21st century Cold War, how much resources are going to be spent on military buildups versus mitigating climate change and other human needs? I mean, that's just disheartening. Um, well, and what you've seen, so yeah, what you've yeah. seen here is that um, all these forces work together, like. 
the, a lot of the reason why we didn't deal with climate uh, earlier is, of course, obviously the money involved in fossil fuels has been a big part of that. But there's also this perception on the part of Christians and a lot of other religions that God will provide and that whatever happens is God's will. And we can't underestimate the importance and, and, and the, the danger of those views. And that is why when, when, when we started the Radical Secular and, and long before that as well, when I've been talking about these issues for the past 20 years, that religion is at the core it's always at the core of these things. And this happened yesterday where I was having a conversation with somebody who was Republican and they were effectively saying that whatever's going to happen with the climate is God's will. And they, they, I just couldn't believe. And I said, no, we need to mitigate. And they called me, they said I was pushing for a utopia, but to, to, to get off fossil fuels was a utopia. And I'm going, Hey, my, you know, my, Utopia is human survival, right? Like that is what we should be thinking about. And instead, you know, and at the, right. he, he ended his exchange by saying, well, I will, you know, I'm very confident in my, in, in my beliefs and my views before God, and I will stand by that and I will be judged only by God. And I think we just can't overstate here how that mentality prevents human action and no matter what anybody wants to say, no matter because everyone loves to justify religion, everyone loves to justify their their beliefs, and they they talk about the good things and the and the human needs that are met by them, and and all these other. But they come with a cost. They come with a downside, and that is that we are not solving our own problems, and it is all connected. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by the way, which god did he mention? Was it Thor or Vishnu? Thank you. <laughs> they never mention that because. It is like I mean, it's, which, it's Yahweh. which God's will are we talking about here? They're talking about Yahweh, obviously Christians, because that's the only one that they believe in is is Yahweh. But other people who were raised in different belief systems will have a yeah. different projection of their psyche that they consider right. to be God. I don't mean to be you know facetious here, but I mean that is the problem, isn't it? If you're going to base your beliefs on God, which God is it going to be? And and obviously. <laughs> That's a problem, right? Rather than basing it on, you know, rational inquiry, which is universal, uh, and you know, the you know, natural laws, you know, and things of that nature. But you know, we'll get into all that. But first, before we start, um, uh, why don't we tackle the main theme, starting with a basic situation on the ground in this war right now? It's kind of an open question, Sean. Uh, what have you seen? What would you like our listeners to be paying attention to at this point, just in terms of the war? Well, I, I think we have to start out with the pretext and the propaganda that uh, was used to justify this invasion. And it is preposterous. It is batshit. It is just, you know, no, and, and if you read the demands, Putin's demands that he's been making, uh, he claims that he doesn't want to destroy the nation of Ukraine while he's destroying it, by the way. And he claims that he just wants denazification and neutrality. But again, all this is happening every day while he is shelling apartment buildings and hospitals and bomb shelters containing women and children. And his snipers are shooting people in bread lines. And his rocket artillery is just indiscriminately destroying, I can't even imagine, tens of billions of dollars of property in that country. 
yeah. and and creating a humanitarian crisis, destroying infrastructure, all of these things. And meanwhile, he's holding these talks and he's still insisting on this denazification thing, which I don't even know what that means. And I think I think what we what we will come to is the only way to understand this term and what he's talking about here is in terms of his authoritarian religious agenda. He doesn't want secular liberal democracies on his doorstep. And that is the that is the real reason for this war. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I mean, so I, I heard the term rubbleization. I think that, that uh, Putin has a strategy of rubbleization of turning things into pure rubble as yes. he did in the level. Yes. Right. And that that's the strike. And here's the sad thing that really gets to me. Um, yeah, the, the Ukrainians are doing an amazing job resisting. I mean, absolutely courageous, absolutely, you know, so much fortitude. But here's the thing. I mean, Russia can keep upping the ante with their military and the weapons that they're using. They are holding back right now. They're not full scale assaulting of the Ukraine. They could be using more powerful weapons. They have not yet. And if they get to the point where they get desperate enough, they could. And, and, and uh, there, there is no real military endgame for the Ukrainians here. There has to be some kind of other mitigating factor that's going to end this war. I'm not so sure about and, that. And, I'm not, I'm not, because here's, here's what, here's what, uh, we've been told from the reports that Russia's got 100% of its forces that were staged outside of Ukraine are now within the country, okay? We've also been told that, you know, that there's a threat, the possibility of them using chemical weapons, but they have used, just last night, they used a hypersonic missile to attack an ammunition depot. And prior to that, they've been using the thermobaric vacuum bombs that we talked about. So I do believe that they are, they have brought to bear all the power that they can at this moment with the exception of chemical and nuclear weapons. And I think that there's also been some analyses by some generals on on the Western side that they can only keep this up for maybe another 10 days. They're running out of missiles, they're running out of ammunition. Troops are terribly low on morale. We've got a lot of troops are, you know, begging Ukrainians for food, things like that. So we're seeing their, their military really in disarray. Now they do hold some Trump cards, I agree with you. And it's mainly nuclear weapons. Well, they also, I mean, I have seen the same reports, and I think it's a good point. Maybe I'm overstating the issue some, but they have not really deployed the Air Force very much. Most of the damage has been via artillery and missiles. Um, that's still something they haven't done. And and they, they're also, um, you know, what they're targeting. And yes, they are doing a lot of collateral damage, and they are, in some cases, certainly targeting civilian targets. But... Um, they could do even worse in that regard. Now, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope you're right, and maybe you are. Well, I believe they will do they will do worse before this is over. But I think that there is a tremendous amount of attrition going on, and we've even seen some uh, counter strikes where the where U- Ukrainians have taken back some territory that was previously held by Russia. So, I, I my sense of this is if I had to, if I were betting on it, I would give about maybe sixty to 65% uh, odds of Ukraine succeeding in, in beating back this, this invasion. Yeah. I hope you're right. I, I'm not as optimistic as that, but 
then again, it, there's a lot we don't know, and there's a lot that we have to sort of uh, untangle because we're getting mixed reports. And I've been trying to look at things outside of our media sphere. I've been trying to look at like what the Chinese are saying, what the Indians are saying, and so forth. And when I do that, it becomes less clear, not more clear what's going on. So uh, what, what are you what are you reading? Because I'm I'm basically you know New York Times, CNN, um, you know Washington Post, the usual usual sources that I get that are they're the most accurate. I would think. I mean, I it's hard to, for me to imagine that India or China would have more accurate reporting. But well, I mean, what, what I'd be interested. For in example, hearing. the Chinese have embedded. Uh, reporters in with, the, in with the Russian troops, and they're reporting in China about what's going on from that perspective, yeah. and and that's meaningful. That's not, you know, that's something that has powerful propaganda value, and also, sure. um, I mean, the Chinese are mobilizing to to um, sort of like fill the vacuum of all these uh, Western corporations that have left Russia. And they see this as a great opportunity. There's, there's a lot going on beyond mm -hmm. what we're getting from, you know, the sort of the Western media. And, but I'm not discounting what the Western media is saying at all. I mean, there's some great reporting coming from the New York Times and Washington Post and, and political and places like that. But I'm just saying it doesn't, I don't know if it gives a full picture of, of, of the situation. Uh, and that's what I, I'm concerned about. So you think there's maybe some jingoism going on with the American uh, I don't think uh, it's purposeful. Media. I, I don't think it's purposeful. I don't think there's any kind of conspiracy around any of that at all. I think I just think it's human nature. It's human to want mm -hmm. to rally around the troops, to be patriotic, to to report things. And and I know that good in, good journal uh, journalistic uh, institutions have checks and balances to try to stop that jingoism, and they do a great job with it. But it doesn't stop it completely, and I, I do think there is a little bit of a bias. Yeah, I do. Interesting. Well, I think that also, you know, we've we've been seeing some mirror imaging. Like, uh, you know, Ukraine has been so effective. At getting their message yeah. out, and Zelensky talking to, and and I think it's it's fantastic that he had, he addressed our, our our leadership and he addressed Canada and Germany, and he's he's been making basically a world tour, a world media tour via uh, link, you know, from from his bunker or wherever he is, yeah. right? And I, I mean, thank heavens they haven't sent in a giant missile to obliterate him, right? I mean, that's. Right. That's also a Trump card that Putin probably has. Yeah, and I think I think if you can to. step back and look at this dispassionately, which is incredibly difficult to do because of what we're seeing, all the human tragedies, uh, you know, Ukraine is waging a psyops campaign as well, right? They are trying to yes. do the same thing. And a very good yeah. one. A, a very good one. And, and it's really funny because they keep presenting these memes showing how many uh, missile, how many tanks have been destroyed, how right. many planes and how many helicopters and everything. And Russia now has started publishing uh, memes that are the same, you know, basically publishing absurd numbers of, of that they've destroyed because Ukraine's got such a smaller army. They couldn't be destroying as many uh, tanks and, and aircraft as are being destroyed on the Russian side. Right. So it's obviously just a mirror image propaganda campaign right. that they have going because they've seen how effective Ukrainian uh, psyops have been. It's it's incredible. If you watch. If you're if you're paying attention to Western media, you know it, it, it would be incredibly demoralizing if you're on the other side. Yeah, and in terms of the the morale issues with the Russian troops, I want you know, I hope that's true, right? And probably is. I just don't know 
I'm not going to accept fully 100% that it's that widespread yet. I, I, I'm sure it is mm -hmm. a real thing, but it, it, this is normal in war, right? Uh, troops aren't told what's going on. Troops get surprised when they realize they're fighting, killing right. people that are just right like them. This is normal. And this is a whole, this is a big, and to push the idea that the Russians are being demoralized is also part of that campaign. So I, I'm not discounting it at yeah. all. I'm not saying it's wrong. It could be absolutely right. But I, I'm going to hold judgment at this point, I think. I think it's wise to do that. But I do think also, like, we keep seeing Russian generals dying in, in battle. That just doesn't yeah, happen. That to the, the fifth. <laughs> Fifth Russian yeah. general died within the last uh, uh, 24 hours, yeah. and five generals. Can you imagine? I mean, we're talking about people on the level of you know uh, of Patton or Schwarzkopf or or Petraeus or you know any of our any of our our, our big time big name generals who just don't die in our wars. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And so there is certainly something to the fact that the Russians are really struggling and far more than they expected. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. Uh, I, I, we'll see how it all plays out. I don't know. I honestly don't. But let's go ahead and move on because we have so much to talk about. Uh, we should say something sure. about the religious authoritarianism before we get into the connections. Uh, fundamentalist yes. Christians are harnessing the power of the state to dictate, to rule over, once again. And this is history. I mean, this is just like the thread of history here, right? We will, of course, be accused of hate for pointing this out, right? Um, wow. This, they, uh, yeah, they yeah. do that. I mean, they do that. They they do this mirror imaging tactic where it's like we're not the Nazis; you're right. the Nazis. You know, that's the, that's <laughs> kind of like the modus operandi of fundamentalists: is to condemn those who point out their bad <laughs> behavior, right? Calling us uncivil, yeah. calling us divisive, and calling us hateful, right? Uh, you've heard it all before, yeah. you know, the war on Christmas. Remember the war on Christmas in the 1990s, right? That was kind of like, yeah. you know, that seems like <laughs> what's happening today. <laughs> now it's a war against Christianity. Yeah. Christians are being oppressed left and right, according to them. It's, a, of course, a, a, a delusion, but it does play this to this victim stratagem by the religious right. And that has successfully silenced many in society, allowing for this perpetual encroachment of authoritarianism. Don't you think? Well, I mean, it's it, they, they tap dance between they play the victim and then they blame the victim, right. right, on the other side. Because look at what Putin's doing. I mean, he is accusing the Ukrainians of being Nazis, Nazis, while he is committing war crimes and acting like a Nazi himself, right? So uh, on the one hand, he played the victim. Oh, NATO is encircling me. You know, NATO is trying to, to, to encroach on my doorstep, right? So he's the victim, but yet now... He lashes out and he's blaming the victims of his aggression. It's it's it is a classic two pronged strategy that has just been used over and over again. We've seen it every authoritarian movement in history right. and probably before and in fact, history. In, in fact, as in parallel, we've seen it play out in this quote unquote culture war that we're seeing in our society, where the right tries to restrict you know gay rights and and freedoms, and then when are taken to task for it say, oh, we're being oppressed because we can't uh, practice our religion, right? We can't, you know, and that's essentially a similar thing, right? Um, and we here are, in fact, secularists. That's our message. We believe in a philosophy defined not only by the separation of church and state, but also by the right 
for people to worship as they please. As I said earlier, prior to secularism, religious people were at each other's throats in Europe and many other places in the world. Secularism ended that and created religious freedom, as well as other kinds of freedoms for the world. It is to the benefit of religious communities to stand up against theocratic rule. I mean, what would you say about that, Sean? Well, I mean, secularism is the only system under which true freedom of religion can flourish. Because if you look at uh, the example of, you know, we have an officially secular constitution, and yet Republicans never stop trying to turn the U.S. into a theocracy. And under a U.S. theocracy, that would mean that minority religions would not have the same rights because you have Christianity melded with the government. So, of course, Muslims are going to be persecuted. Of course, Hindus are going to be persecuted. Uh, of course, you know, Jews to a lesser extent, because for some reason, evangelical Christians have embraced, uh, you know, the Judeo-Christian tradition, right? They have this kind of thing. But then you have the, you, you end up with the, with the kind of Christian tinged white supremacists who end up uh, attacking synagogues and things like that. Yeah. So it's like, and unless you have a real ironclad official policy of secularism in your government, you're going to have religious oppression. And we see the same is absolutely true around the world. In the Muslim countries, Christians are persecuted, right. uh, you know, bombed. I mean, terrorism, acts of hor horrendous terrorism committed against Christians in Muslim countries. Right. Okay. And, and the same thing, we, we see the same thing going on right now with, you know, between the Hindus and the Muslims in India, where we've got this uh, neo-nationalist government uh, of, of, of Modi, which is highly popular and has now reinstituted forms of religious persecution. And so this is just, this is a global fight. It's one fight, I mean, that we're having everywhere to establish equality and secularism that is the only way that, that, that we can ever even have religious freedom. I mean, even the peace-loving Buddhists are at her in Myanmar, right? They're doing the same thing. I mean, it's just, it, there's something about this fundamentalism, this fervor, that really is the crux of it. Um, Where, whenever you look at war, genocide, uh, gross violations of human rights, religion is always at the core of it. Religion and nationalism. And, and I don't think that you can necessarily uh, separate religion and nationalism because, because of culture, right? A nation is, is, is composed of a common culture. And that culture is very often almost and always based in religion and religious beliefs. And you have the beliefs of where you were raised. If you were raised somewhere else, you'd have different beliefs. So um, this, is, this is the beast of uh, uh, that, that is trying to devour the world right now. And it's, it's why I believe our work to be so yeah, important. Me too. And I think that pointing out the bizarre discrepancies in, in, in the ideology of, of the religious right is also key here. I mean, think about just not so long ago, how outraged these people were about Sharia law in the United States, right? We are, you know, we can't allow Sharia law. We can't allow religious, you know, theocratic, theocratic law to be a part of our civil society. And then just a few years later, here they are passing laws that are doing just that from a, from a Christian point of view. And we have to point that out, you know. Well, the, yeah, there was never any any threat of Sharia. Oh, no, it, I mean, it, there it were was, private there were private courts that were in Muslim communities that were for adjudicating basic disputes that, that, that they had. They had no force of law at all. You know, and they, they, it was it was it was total paranoia. And then when the shoes on the other foot, right? Um, the don't say gay bills, right. the you know the 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 
crackdowns on on trans parents who are giving their kids gender affirming care. It's just it goes on and on how these people play both sides of the fence and how how hypocritical they yeah. are when it comes to these things. And so we're trying to point that out here. We're trying to actually make it uh, clear, clear what's going on. Hopefully we're doing that. And um, I just want to just quickly turn to some philosophical issues here around this. And when we think about politics, we think about things like democracy versus authoritarianism, absolutely valid things to think about. Uh, we think about elections and politicians in a pragmatic sense, but politics derive from more intimate forms of social relations and control. There is a, a reason why many religious people across the world find the expression of cultural diversity in the public sphere so threatening, like gay pride parades. They always bring out mm -hmm. the, you know, the worst in people. Uh, these expressions are a direct threat to traditional religious hierarchy and always have been. Um, like the term in the closet, right? In the closet is a testimony to this hierarchy's need to control people's bodies and sexuality, right? The LGBTQ plus community people have only recently been able to freely show themselves in the public sphere without serious repercussions to them. In places like Florida and Texas, as you mentioned, we're now seeing new laws to render these communities invisible once again. Again, this stratagem of playing the victim is at work here. Nothing says cancel culture like rendering people wholly invisible. <laughs> yeah. How do they get away with such incredible? Well, I, I guess in a psychiatric way, it would be called transference or something. What do you, how do you parse this, Sean? It is just, if you want to know, and this, this is true of every right-wing um, politician, leader, philosopher, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's total projection. If you want to know what Putin's planning to do, um, listen to what he accuses the other side of doing. Sure. If you want to know what Christians are planning to do, listen to what they're accusing the other side of doing, right? And the cancel culture is the very, very worst uh, of that because what are they doing? They are burning books. I mean, they are trying to cancel people. I mean, it's just... Uh, even what they've done to our government and the and the process of of a, like appointing judges, they, you know, somehow the Federalist Society is is a self appointed uh, body that that pre approves judges, right? How did that happen? Well, they've canceled anyone who isn't a hardcore libertarian right wing yeah. Christian. I mean, they can't can't be appointed. A, a judge under a Republican president. They've handpicked most uh, federal judges and Supreme Court judges on the right for the last, I don't know, 10 years at least. Yeah. Right. Canceling all liberals. Yep. I mean, that's, that's and so moderates too. What they are. They are always doing what they are accusing us of doing. And at the same time as they're accusing, like, for example, they the Republicans constantly talk about states rights. And what are they doing at the moment? They are not only trying to ban abortions, but they're also trying to pass laws that would somehow penalize people in their state from going to another state, right? Yeah. States' rights. I mean, so whatever it is that they are accusing you of doing or that they're talking about protecting, they are going to destroy. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me that they get, continue to get away with this, but, yeah. but it literally is. And when Joe Biden was discussing uh, what he believed Putin's war plan to be, it was based on Putin's accusations of the West. So even our president is our president is onto this. Yeah, it is a good and, predictor. And it's, right. this. it's a very good predictor. Yeah. 
And he, in fact, did exactly that. <laughs> so, you know. And so here is this explicit connection between a cultural war and this actual war with bombs and deaths, right? The Russian church is publicly blaming the gays for the invasion of Ukraine, right? You yes. Go read it. Uh, they support the war and Putin as he is leading the fight for these Western Christian values that they purport. Uh, over the last decade, Putin has become a champion of traditional Christian values across the world. What has this meant? This has meant the rise of theocracy in both Russia and across the world, and it has meant more war, as we're seeing. Um, the evidence has always been there, Sean, right? It's not all that hidden, right? In, a, in 2014, for example, a piece in Town Hall, Pat Buchanan, you know, Pat Buchanan, a stalwart in the political right, wrote, quote, in the cultural war for the future of mankind, Putin is planting Russia's flag firmly on the side of traditional Christianity, unquote. Yeah. Around that time, the U.S. World Council of Families, a very notable organization on the right, right, declared the best world trend to be Russia emerges as a pro-family leader. And they pointed out how the Kremlin was imposing bans on homosexual propaganda, bans on abortion advertising, banned on abortions after 12 weeks, and, and a ban on sacrilegious insults to religious believers. This is their pro-family, right, stuff. Um so why did the right make this 180 degree shift away from being very hawkish and suspicious about Russia? We, we grew up with that, you and I, during the Cold War and beyond, right? Very hawkish, very negative on Russia. All of a sudden, Russia was their friend. Here's your answer, right? This is it. Well, this is exactly the answer because, I mean, the USSR, okay, under socialism, right, is philosophically, uh, they were officially non-religious. And... Christians accused them of being, you know, godless, atheist, whatever, but they just were like, they understood, as China understands, by the way, that religion is competition for, with the state. Yeah. And, and, and so religious education, we see it here in, in the U.S. We see that uh, parents who are, who are homeschooling their kids are always anti-government. There's, there's never a time when you've got a homeschooling uh, uh, parent or, or a, a hard right Christian school that is supportive of our government. I mean, they, they, they constantly oppose this. So I, I think that part of the reason why Republicans were very against the Soviet Union was because they were anti-capitalist, mm -hmm. anti-imperialist, but also because they were anti-religious. Yes. And so now that Putin has come back, you know, he's, he's, he's made the Russian Orthodox Church, the core. I mean, they are, they have so much power now, and uh, he's brought them back. And because he knows, as every good dictator does, that religion is essential to the core of dictatorship. And in the sense of China, I'm I you know I'm trying to draw some parallels in my mind with China, and I don't think that there are the same kind of parallels, except to the extent that maybe Maoism, or at this point, maybe it's, it's, maybe it's Zism, you know, uh, uh, is, is the religion of China, uh, you know, because I, I don't think that there's much of a, like Confucianism, uh, is not that powerful in China. Right. It's all about the, it's all about the leadership. Well, I mean, it is like Yuval Harari says, these powerful ideologies that really are very, they, they, whether it's religious or whether it's nationalism or whatnot, they do have these same sort of dynamics, right? Uh, and, and they, sometimes they coalesce and work together. I mean, when, you, you know, government is the enemy when the government is, 
you know, secular, when it's not secular, when it's theocratic, it's not the enemy anymore. It's, it's, it's us, right? It's, it's the same. And, and uh, so that there's a two, two pronged strategy there. We're seeing, we see it, we saw it play out in America in the last 30, 40 years. One strategy is to be anti-government and the other strategy is to take over government. And once you take over government, you're right. not anti-government anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. It, well, and they, they played this very well uh, b- because they now that the, the latest strategy with with the right is to go in and take over at the level of the school board and create you know create scenes everywhere so they can control uh, and, and it's a way of of firing up their base, getting people to turn out to vote who otherwise wouldn't bother things like that, and it's just. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I, I'm sometimes at a loss for words at these tactics because of how, how hypocritical they are. Like they, they want to destroy the public school system, but they want to control it as well. If they can't destroy it, it's just, and, and this is the, this is what we see everywhere. States rights. Oh, not that kind of states rights, right? Just a, they will play both sides at every opportunity. Well, I mean, uh, I think a good uh, person to read is Hannah Arendt. She talks about how totalizing these forces can be. They want to control everything, right? And, you know, and and that's what we're seeing. Uh, And this is not necessarily a modern phenomenon. It's it's been a phenomenon forever. But what's different about the modern world is that the state becomes central, right? State power, bureaucracy, uh, all these institutions become central to that. That's what makes a difference in the modern world from from sort of traditional theo- theocratic states, and it, that's much more powerful in a way, right? You, you're controlling all of life that way. Um, well, and it's the core it's the core uh, disconnect and hypocrisy of religion because they say God is all powerful, right? So why does God need people to amass power if if God is all powerful? And this is the this is the disconnect, right? If they say, "Well, only God can judge me," well, no, they want to judge other people, right. and yeah. you know, but they want to only be judged by God because because God is ego. God is their own ego. God is their own agenda. It's it, God is not just imaginary, but God is a force multiplier. God is power. It's hierarchy. The Father. The you know, <laughs> it's. It, it's very what's going on is very male when you think about it because you look you you look at the opposition to quote gender ideology that Putin's talking about and it all has to do with this with what he feels is an attack on masculinity. So what does he respond with? Cruise missiles, bombs, very masculine, right? I mean, this is all extremely phallic and masculine. Right. War is you know it's the very opposite of nurturing. And you know when you look when you look at a uh, you know a trans child transgender child who is, you know, is, is, you know, was born with male genitalia, but is identifies as female and is, you know, that, that person is very vulnerable. That person is very vulnerable, needs to have that care from their parents, needs to have that care from society. And here we have, it's, that is so threatening. The, the, the nurturing and the care of, of, of a, of a transgender child, you know, and the response is cruise missiles. Right. And it's also very Orwellian because literally caring for a child is child abuse. Right. Right. Literally. Right. That's what the Texas, Texas, uh, shtick is saying. I mean, literally. And, you know, you know, you, we know, 
medical science has shown us that, you know, the transgender children are very susceptible to depression, to suicide. They need the extra care. They need to be understood. We, we, and to, to deny them that is child abuse. <laughs> okay. Just infuriating, yes. isn't it? It's just... Well, and, and when we see it's 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 no it's no longer hiding. What's going on right now is on the world stage. We have a so-called leader who's really a you know a, a a sociopath. I mean, I don't you know Putin is a war criminal, a sociopath. Like, there's not enough words in the language to describe how horrific this man is. A psychopath. And he in his yeah psychopath. And in his speeches, he is literally denouncing gender ideology. And what he means by that is the acceptance of LGBTQ people. Yeah. And that is now the pretext for a world, what could be a world war. So this is an acceleration of the timeline of confrontation between secularism, modernity, and this medieval uh, repression that's just coming down like an iron fist. It's I, I didn't think I would live to see this particular argument, which seemed like, you know, the culture war, whatever. I didn't think I would live to see this become the the actual pretext for a world war. I, I, I can't believe what right. I'm seeing. I mean, and, and it goes back to what you said earlier is, I mean, what's happened is there's been a huge movement towards understanding and embracing it and uh, the, the gay and uh, transgender community. And that has led to this backlash when it's become most dangerous, right? I think that's what's going on. I mean, who, the homosexuals are among the first to go to the gas chambers in, in Germany in, in, you know, 1930. Yes. They're among the very first, you know. And this is playing out again. It's playing out again. And if we don't stop it, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. I have to point out that there were many, many, many gay Nazis, right? So again, we have this hypocrisy where where they were persecuting LGBT people while they had them among their own ranks, right? And and this is what's going on in Russia. I mean, we heard of this in in Chechnya, particularly where they were they were finding and identifying uh, gay people from chats and and emails and communication with each other. And then they were grounding them up and and shooting them. I mean, this this happened within the last five years in 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 Chechnya, and they have this the leader. I, I can't place his name right now, but he's a radical Muslim who originally was against Putin, and then he switched sides and joined him, and is now like he's the leader of Chechnya. And that whole conflict again, they raised Grozny to the ground, and it was considered by the UN to be the most destroyed city in the, in history. And uh, this was partially over, again, this issue of the, the, the problems that Muslims have with gay people. It's just right. like, ah, how, how, um, and, and when you, when you go back to first principles here and you think that oh. something that someone does in their bedroom is going to have some horrific effect that is going to destroy society in some way, I mean, that's magical thinking at its worst. That's dualism worst. at its worst. Like, like somehow, uh, human beings, what they do with their genitalia is can, can be so destructive to the world that it's worth, you destroying know, bombing cities and destroying the world just to prevent right. this this thing. And what kind of what kind of disastrous magical thinking is that? 
And look, the, the point we're trying to make here, folks, is that, yes, we're focusing in on the gay transgender community, but it applies to all of human freedom, right? Yes. And from one end to the other, it's about control of the body, which certainly applies to women. Uh, and it honestly also applies to men. This fetishism of masculinity is very destructive to a lot of men, most men, I would say. Right. And, and it's not even implicit, but it's not like they're hiding. It's, read their own words, what they're saying about masculinity and how it connects to all of this. It's right there. Listen to what Tucker Carlson is saying. Uh, these things are threads that weave together this one phenomena that's happening in the world that's manifesting as things like repression and war. Right. They're not separate. I think that's our point, isn't it? Well, it's, it's absolutely our point. And I think that we have, there's been a, a sort of terrible accommodationism and magical thinking on the left, by the way. Uh, the accommodationism is basically saying, well, you know, we can't, I, I, I'm guilty of being the most outspoken, I think, against religion of the three of us. And I think that uh, we, we are we are definitely in, in in you know violent agreement on most things, but when it comes down to it, you know this I I, I think that I'm I've been more strident from the beginning about really confronting religion because I don't see that any of this ending until religion is removed from the public square. And what I mean by that is we can't have uh, secularism means that you don't. You don't express your religious beliefs in, in the, in, in almost in public, right? It's almost like it, this has to be private behavior. Like, because if you're, if, if everybody has a different religious belief and they're expressing it in public, they are, um, it's going to create conflict and it's going it, to, it's, it's, it's bound to, to create situations where people are trying to take away the rights of others. Yeah. Well, um, I, I, I I don't know if I'm making sense here. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think so, but I, I would disagree to some extent from what you're saying, but in gist, I generally agree. But what I would say is there has to be some room for religious expression in public, but in certain sectors of the public and things like education and in, you know, in the matters that really sh uh, we're all sharing together, right? Like mm -hmm. the courts, education, uh, healthcare, Things like that, absolutely no. They should be those two things should be universally secular. But you know, if you want to have a, a you know St. Patty's Day parade, I think that's perfectly fine. I don't I don't see that as a problem. You know, I, I, yeah, I mean that's more that's more cultural, uh, you know, than than religious specifically. But I mean, just okay, imagine a courtroom with a cross, right? Okay, you've got a cross up in that courtroom. What does that say? That says that uh, LGBT people specifically and women more generally are going to not do well in that courtroom because the cross represents the hierarchy. So now let's, let's remove it from the courtroom and say a teacher wearing a cross to school or someone in any official, you know, a cop wearing a cross, anybody in their official capacity wearing a religious symbol. And the same would go for, you know, yarmulke or, or any other religious symbol. You don't, you can't have people in positions of power representing uh, that, uh, that they are willing to play favorites. Right. They're going to treat, uh, they're going to treat, 
That's absolutely fair. I think the French do a really good job with that. I think better than we do. They have a very strong sense of secular public space. Uh, and it's causing problems with the Muslim community for sure, with, uh, with the hij hij hijabs and all that. But it is part of their culture. And it is about that sort of universality that a lot of the people feel like they are not going to be treated uh, in a biased way especially when it comes to things like the court and the law and so forth. I think that's critically important. I think we do have a sense of that in this country. I think there is yeah. a tradition here as well. And I think a lot of people would agree with you, Sean. I don't think your, your position is all that radical in this sense, except to those who are threatened by it, right? Well, a lot of people get threatened by it. And, and you know, particularly, it's one thing, I mean, everybody, everybody understands the symbol, symbolism of a cross. I mean, it's a the symbol of Christianity is a torture device. This is a, this is a way that people were tortured and killed criminals executed, right? That is what this symbol is. And um, now let's put the shoe on the other foot, uh, the hijab. What is the hijab? I mean, I, I, I'm not a Muslim scholar, so I can't go through all of the, I know that there's a justification, there's a significance as to why women wear hijabs and many Muslim women consider them to be a chosen part of their identity, okay? And so it's a very thorny issue because at the same time, uh, that hijab is irrevocably a uh, a slam on female sexuality it is a it is a it is a sense of shame about female sexuality and it is a covering it's like it you're you're implying and not just not just subtly implying that a woman's uh hair and body you know should not be displayed should not be seen and it, it it's almost the equivalent of that having your being without your headscarf is equivalent to nudity right, right. that is it the is. message is. yeah that's the message yeah. of, of the hijab. And so so when you look at this and you see, like, would you feel uh, as a woman, as a Western woman, uh, if there was a judge sitting there in the courtroom wearing a hijab, would you feel that you would get a fair trial, like for a rape trial, for example, that you wouldn't be asked what you were wearing, right? Or something like that. So there is there the idea of these religious symbols and that they should be somehow accepted universally. No, because we we know what these religions mean we know what they believe and they what and it is not in in freedom of expression it is not in uh the freedom of the body freedom of gender freedom of art uh and and it is also very hierarchical yeah, and yeah. so we it's let we let we we let these these symbols uh into our, the public square at our peril well it's interesting it makes me wonder like what how people would react if you went to a judge and he was wearing a big great gay pride you know, sticker over his, while he's proceeding over you, right? Like, I think a lot of people would be really upset about that because he's, he, he is declaring something about his ideology there, right? And that's not explicitly religious, but that would fall under the, 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 the judge has a burden to maintain impartiality, right? And so, exactly. so right. Uh, a gay pride flag is not impartial. It's not impartial. And so, um, but at the same time, I don't think that I don't think that that people who express gay pride are interested in in, in oppressing heterosexuals. So it's well, it's, it's not exactly a, a, an analogy, you know. There's a world of history behind religious oppression and repression. Yes, and there's not <laughs> at all behind you know gays are not torturing and oppressing people. They never have, as far as never I have. know. I don't, I don't know of any case of that. Um, that's the difference. But even so, even with something that's clearly so unequal, you can still make a case where people shouldn't be, you know, people people in authority shouldn't be displaying 
these the, these banners of identity. Uh, in, if you're a public figure, now if you're out in public, whatever, and you, you just you whoever, yeah, you go ahead, where you know, display what you want. But in positions of authority, where you're affecting people's lives, it should be well, secular. Right. I mean, and and, and you know, ju- judges are required also to recuse themselves in cases where they don't mm. believe that they that they exactly. can be impartial, right? And and so again, you can, you don't want to wear you can't wear a MAGA hat you know, in the courtroom. I mean, you, right. you just can't express, you have to, we, you don't have a society that that can claim any sort of fairness if it allows people to just, um, you know, to send a message that they have a strong opinion that is going to, that they're going to, going to cling to that above the law and above, uh, above equality and above yeah. fairness. And to take it, take it up even uh, a few notches, the laws themselves cannot be explicitly derived from religious ideology, like the ones that we're seeing in Texas and in Florida. That is yeah. even a great, that's just, that's just taking it up to a, another whole nother level of danger. And that's what we're seeing, right? We're seeing it in our own nation. Yeah. And, and so they, these people are playing for keeps. You know, they're going to be like, if they have their way, they will be putting, you know, women will be in jail for abortions uh, before too long in this country. They'll be criminalizing the abortion pill. They'll be criminalizing, they'll make it a felony to travel to another state to get an abortion. I mean, uh, you know, at, at what point does freedom of movement within the United States become a thing of the past? I mean, how can they even be considering this stuff? Right. I mean, so we can go on forever with this, but let's bring it back to the war and the connection okay. there. Yeah. Um, here we are witnessing what seems to be another religiously inspired war. That at least that's what we're claiming. Now, it does not mean that there are not other inspiration to this war. There are other reasons why we have this war. It's not exclusively a religious war. That's not what we're saying. But it never is, right? There's always going to be issues of, you know, natural resources and, and, and ide- other kinds of ideologies and, you know, land, all that stuff. But what we're seeing is this age-old pattern of religion justifying and legitimizing this, you know, martial action, uh, this this invasion of another country. And that's not good. That is really what we need to, you know, laser focus on because there are the history that we, we have in, that's so stark. And so, uh, you know, we could talk about the greedy oligarchs. We could talk about, you know, petrostates. We could talk about all kinds of reasons why we're having this war. And we should, but in this right now, we should also fo- really focus in on this one because it's really just uh, a global phenomenon that's happening. And it's very dangerous. So, Sean, we talked. You've mentioned a few things already, but do you have any other specific evidence that can point directly to this relationship between the invasion of the Ukraine specifically and religious ideology and religious fervor, like we've been talking about? I mean, I think we covered. We pretty much covered it all. I think that. Uh, <clears throat> There's, there's territorialism within religion, and I'm not sure, you know, I don't know much about the expression of religion in Ukraine, except for what I saw. I saw that in the film Winter on Fire, there was a lot of strong participation of religious leadership in Ukraine with the U- Ukrainian freedom movement. I mean, when that the Maiden revolution that happened in 2014 that threw out that uh, uh, puppet president, uh, uh, Yanukovych, I think his name was, uh, that was 
really fostered by the religious leaders in Ukraine. And so it may be, and I, and I believe that within the last week, there has been a split in the, where, where the Ukrainian uh, arm of the Russian Orthodox Church has split off from the Moscow arm. So there is definitely, this is not something that I have, I'm aware of a lot of details, but there's definitely a, a high level of, of religious conflict going on here behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know much about that either, but I, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Um, so getting to just a slightly different sort of tangent here, but many will say that this current phase of Christianity is against the teachings of Jesus Christ, right? Like <laughs> that Jesus Christ was not really about war or conquest. And I, th- I think that's certainly the case. I mean, if you look at the philosophy, right, it wasn't about that. Um, but it's been 2,000 years of this, right? 2,000 years, right? All these religious wars, one after another. The repression of human rights, one after another. What can we say about this notion that these fun- these fundamentalists are not real Christians? I mean, given the, the diversity of opinion among Christians, and there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of more progressive, more central- centrist Christians that are doing wonderful things in the world that are trying to be good people that are trying to solve problems and so forth. And, but they still believe they're still believers. Right. Um, but it's not seems, it doesn't seem to be stopping this rising Christian theocracy and oppression that we're seeing. So there is accountability there. Right. Um, This this makes my blood boil. This, this shit makes my blood boil because the bottom line is that the Bible is like the alphabet. You can find a biblical passage to justify absolutely anything that you want to do in, 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 I, I don't care what it is, killing slavery. It, it, the, I always refer people to the skeptics annotated Bible because I used to study the Bible when I was in the church and a minister and everything else like that. It's been 30 years. I don't pay much attention to it anymore because it's it, quoting the Bible is pointless. It, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't prove anything. And so, uh, other people have done this work, Skeptics Annotated Bible, Skeptics Annotated Quran. They're both great sites, and you can look up cruelty, violence, misogyny, all of these things like that. And also, yes, you can find things like the Sermon on the Mount. You can find, uh, you know, the, the Beatitudes. You can find the Psalms. You can find Song of Solomon. You, you can go through and find all sorts of beautiful passages in Scripture. And, you know, that's meaningless because... It's utterly meaningless. The people who are the theocrats and the oppressors will find what they need in the Bible regardless. And so it doesn't matter whether you say this person isn't a true follower of Jesus. That's just another sectarian split, right? This guy over here, Putin, will find some scripture that will justify what he's doing. Um, Jerry Falwell found plenty of scripture to justify what he was doing. Pat Buchanan, these guys all find, you know, the, the, you know, Pat Robertson, it's, it's, it's comical and, and, and it's insane. And when I see these memes circulating around Facebook saying, oh, they're not true Christians, that's the no true Scotsman's fallacy. Okay. <laughs> we, every, every debater in high school learns the no true Scotsman fallacy. And yeah. yet they still pull this bullshit, trying to justify Christianity, trying to say that, you know, these people aren't reflective of the true teachings of Jesus. I mean, come on, what a load of malarkey. Well, I mean, I've, 
I've had a lot of personal experience working with religious people in my life. I, when I was in uh, grad school, I was doing a qualitative research project with an immigrant community center. And I worked there for years. I got very involved in it. I, got, I, be, I started out just packing groceries for people and I became a member of the executive council of the center over several years. And they asked me to help them start a new church. They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're very religious folks, a lot of them. And I, I ended up working with uh, this priest who was now a pastor who changed religions. He, he was a pastor of the uh, Canadian Church, uh, the official Canadian church. And he was a minister in the Allende government before the coup d'etat and had oh, to really? flee the country. He was a liberation theologist. Right? Yes. And, and, and so I've seen that there's a lot of really incredibly just wonderful and you know, dedicated people that are religious people as well like that. I've worked with other people as well. But your point still stands to the sense that Christian Christianity is what Christianity does. That's, That's right. ultimately how we judge it. And so if, if, if other Christians are not standing against this theocratic order that's trying to be established, that's on them. You know, they have to take a stand. If you want the Sermon on the Mount to be meaningful, then you have to live it and take a stand against this stuff. I think that it's really the, the, the onus is on Christianity to prove to the rest of us that they are transcendent of this martial and control and all that stuff. And, and you know what? Um, like I said, we are, the, we are not, we're not, you know, like Maoists here, right? <laughs> we're not out to get anybody per se. We believe in, in um, you know, secularism, but we also believe in responsibility and in civic responsibility. The, and if you, can, if you can live according to the laws of our society that are designed to be laws that create peace and prosperity and, and unity and so forth, wonderful. If you can't, then we're going to hold you accountable no matter what you call yourself. Right. Well, the term Christians, like if I say uh, well, this person is a Christian, it doesn't tell me anything about that person any more than if I say this person is an American, right? How many different millions of identities are there within America? And the same thing within Christianity. It's all Venn diagrams, right? And so yeah. you've got you've got militant, uh, you know, uh, theocrats within Christianity. And you've got, like you said, you know, your friend, liberation theologists, okay? And Liberation theology is a great thing. I mean, basically, liberation theology is everything we want, you know, uh, uh, in in the world. But uh, it, it shouldn't require religion. Just becomes a force multiplier for whatever anybody wants to do or say or believe, and that is why it doesn't belong in government, and and why we have to maintain this impartiality because people have all kinds of crazy beliefs. You know, we can't, as long as you're not trying to to uh, take away my human rights, I don't care. Like you can, you know. I will criticize you. You believe the earth is flat or you believe that, you know, vaccines cause autism or some other bullshit. I will criticize you, but I'm not going to try to, 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 to fight you like I will if you try to take away my human rights. Right, right, right. I mean, the real reason why Christianity is declining in the West is not because of the gays or liberalism or any of that. It's because young people are seeing this bad behavior, right? Mm-hmm. They're seeing the bad behavior. Well, and it's just not true. Religion. It's not true. Like, religion cannot... 
make any truth claims. And I think, I think that is science has displaced religion as a way of explaining the universe. And that is the real reason why young people, aside from them wanting to have a, a sexual identity that's free, aside from all that, they realize it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and so, but even like, I would say this, I would say that, um, we can live in a diverse pluralistic society. If people want to be religious, fine. It's up to them. We can work together even as long as we all conform to the uh, philosophies of having a good, safe, prosperous, universally just society for everyone. If we can do that, then fine. Believe what you want to believe, right? Uh, express yourself in, in whatever way you want to express as long as you conform to those philosophical codes. That's my take on it. Um, and when we're seeing this kind of really bad and dangerous behavior by Christians, then it's going to taint all Christians, whether you like it or not. If you're a Christian, people are going to see you that way. So it's, it's up to you to stand up to that if you are a Christian and believe in your faith. I, I think so. But I mean, I think also you can't, I mean, this is, again, why we have to have secularism, because you can't hold one American responsible for all Americans' behavior any more than you can hold one Christian responsible for all Christians' behavior, right? And so it is, uh, that is why we must hold everyone to the same standard. And that's what secularism does. And, and I'm, I get so tired of having to defend secularism because people always say, oh, you want to kill religion. You want to ridicule religion. You just want to mock people, right? No, what we're trying to establish and what I've been trying to establish for most of my life since I left the ministry is how important it is to treat everyone the same. Equality, impartiality, equality under the law. I can't keep repeating it enough. Not trying to destroy people's beliefs, just hold you accountable to a standard that is that applies across the board. I, I mean... You and I, Sean and Christoph, we all share core beliefs that are really important ones. We may differ here and there on how, you know how to you know pursue you know weaning away from religion or all that. So we could differ away, from, but we we are one in these core beliefs. Yes. and these are not radical beliefs, right? They're not crazy beliefs. They're not things that make us you know somehow different. They are things that if you really get down to it and you really talk to most people, most people believe in, but yeah. they, uh, honestly, and, and they're, they're, you know, they're encoded into our laws, they're encoded into our philosophies, you know, egality, freedom, uh, you know, all these things, universal justice, they're not really principles that should be, you know, pushed aside for any reason. And they are being pushed aside. They shouldn't that's be, the problem. They shouldn't be controversial. And, and I think that's the part when we say radical secular, it's not, we, it's not that we're looking for a radical uh, transformation of society. We are looking for, um, we're just saying we're being uncompromising that we must, in order to solve the problems that we face as a, as a planet, as a nation, as a, as a civilization, as a, as a society, as individuals, that we are going to need non-religious solutions. That's the radical part. We're going to need physical, concrete, legal, cultural solutions that are based in human flourishing. And, and yeah. nothing else will do. That's what, and, and, 
<laughs> you you can't get there from here if you're if you're expecting to continue to have religious leaders uh you know lead the charge it's it's not we're not going to get there we're only going to have more war and strife and and breakdown of of social norms that we all that we all have taken for granted and it's not it's not just about having good solutions it's also about avoiding to tragedy and catastrophe like uh, we we you know theocracy will lead to tragedy and catastrophe in and of itself and it will stop us from having solutions to the things we need to have solutions about like climate change and you know all kinds of things even healthcare whatever it might be yeah. uh, we we yeah. do need that those traditions right enshrined in first and foremost in the enlightenment age but also then in the social in social democracy and and the universalizing of these ideas to others not just the elites right all of that yeah and 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 all of that has been the modern project right and we are very much affirmed in that and what what theocracy does it just takes us way off that course right it takes us back to a much more brutal world and we don't want that well i think most of us who you know grew up at least in my early years thinking that we were we had made irrevocable progress, that we were never going to go back to this medieval thinking. And instead, what's occurred is that this seems like the more time goes on in the 21st century, instead of thinking about, you know, expanding out through the solar system or, uh, uh, you know, having just incredible prosperity on Earth, we're increasingly being drawn back into injustice, war, uh, ignorance, mysticism, magical thinking, you know, and I, I brought up something uh, this week in our conversation, and it has to do with this idea that the arc of the moral universe bends towards justice. And, you know, that's a quote that was said by Martin Luther King. Uh, but I think it was in the context of, he probably wasn't the first one or only one to say it, by the way, it, to express that idea. Uh, no, he wasn't. In fact. He but, was but, not the first. This is in the context of, of magical thinking and an, an article by Timothy Snyder, because he was really taking to task the Western elites for having really screwed up uh, their, their Russia policy and not seeing this coming. And of course, we've been being told by everybody from Gary Kasparov to many other, you know, our, our analysts, the ones who testified before, before Congress during the Trump impeachment hearings, Vindeman and, and the, the other, the lady who's so good, I forget her name right now, but we, we've, we've, We've had these warnings from people and we've just sort of, I, we, we haven't taken it seriously enough because I think too many liberals have believed that it's, that we, that we're never going back and that we're just headed in, a, in one direction towards justice. And the reason I brought that up was not to disparage Martin Luther King or even President Obama, you know, who I think also got Russia policy wrong. I brought it up because it's an illustration of how magical thinking has led to real world disaster, thinking that we didn't have to defend secularism, thinking that we didn't have to, to be on, on, on our guard in the same way that, I mean, the right wing is, they, they have attack dogs, right? They, they, anytime, there's any, anytime there's any losses on their side, they've got attack dogs that come out. They've got a whole media ecosystem. And we haven't had anything comparable. We just assumed that the arc of the universe moral universe was bending toward justice. And in fact, we have been sadly mistaken. Well, I would say a couple of things about that. 
once I, your, your main philosophical point is very valid. I agree with it. In fact, I don't think you can just assume that anything's going to happen. That's magical thinking, right? The arc of the moral universe will bend towards justice if we work towards justice. Yeah. You know, that's, it has to happen that way. Uh, you know, whether there are not, you know, it would happen incidentally just because it's some kind of, I don't know, supernatural law or something. I, I don't even go there. I mean, it, why go there? Right. But, uh, what has happened though, Sean, is like something you referred to, kind of alluded to earlier in the beginning of the show, is that we have made incredible progress and we're continuing to make progress. If you look at attitudes about, you know, homosexuality and transgender, they're getting better and better. Despite the right wing's efforts to try to squelch it, they're still getting better, right? And so, like, what... Why is that? It's because the work that's been done over the last century and a half in social justice has created that momentum. And then the momentum is now sort of building on itself to some extent. It, it is, it's been set in motion, right? And so there is a bit of that happening too, which can seem mystical. It can seem like, wow, but that's just, that's just looking at the natural world in a more sophisticated way. So really, it's all it is, right? But it does seem like there is something greater that's shaping everything because the natural world is amazingly complex. There are all kinds of just processes of multiplicity and, you know, that are hap that happen that lead to, to this things happening in amazing ways. And this is, I think this is one of them in a way. Um, unfortunately, what happens when you make a comment like that is people will interpret it as some kind of, like you said, disparaging thing. And, and then they'll shut, they'll shut off a little bit. They won't listen as much. And we just have to be concerned about that. Uh, and that's about messaging, which is always tough. It's always tough, you know, because you don't want to overly be Pollyannic or overly like, you know, accede to this kind of magical thinking. You don't want to do that. But at the same time, you want to understand your audience. And so it's, it, I, mean, who, I, I get the problem. There. Who, who is my, I mean, I've, I'm just trying to tell the truth, right? And the truth here is that there is no teleology in the universe, right? We are, everything that happens is random. And uh, even decisions we make, you know, there's questions of free will and questions of all of that. And we have seen heroes who have sacrificed for progress. We've seen, I mean, it just, there's a, there's a long tradition of, of people who've given their lives to promote justice, freedom, secularism, on and on. And yet, the minute that power concentrates to the level that it has now in the world, we see that we don't know which way it's going to go. I mean, it's very, very possible right. that Russia well, and China could right. get together and that the world could become a total authoritarian hellscape that would not ever be able to change. And well, there's no I guarantee mean, that America wins this thing or that Ukraine wins this thing or that Western Europe wins this thing or that secularism wins this thing. And no, there isn't. there's no guarantee. There isn't. And, and, that, and that's why I think your voice matters in this, because we have to be sober. And in fact, honestly, nobody wins this thing. if Climate change doesn't get solved. Nobody. Well, that's <laughs> right. Loses. And, 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 Everybody. But climate change brings and, us back full circle to the fact that magical thinking about God saving the world or taking care of us has prevented us from dealing with climate. So it's, it's just, it's a, it's a whole right. ball of wax. And, um, I, I see that we have to challenge the entire thing at the highest level.
I think, I think that I see a major, major change in younger generations with that. I really do. I think there's a huge shift in the way young people think about the world. I, I honestly don't think a lot of them have, believe in the arc of moral universe bends toward justice. I don't think they believe that. Mm-hmm. I think they believe that, uh, well, a lot of them believe we're fucked, but yeah, they do. A, a lot of them just believe that we have to change the world, right? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, we have to be sober. we got to change the world. We do. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody else is going to do it. Not, not, not God, not aliens. Right. No, not even like even like technology. Right. Technology in and of itself is not going to do anything unless it has the right policies behind it. Right. That's right. Nothing. No, we have to have the policies to, to, to implement the technology. It's a prerequisite. Technology is not going to save us either. It's, it's a prerequisite uh, for any progress, for any change, for any justice that we have to get rid of the magical thinking that somehow any of it is going to happen on its own. We have to put our shoulders to the plow and get this stuff done. We do. Absolutely. So let's return it back and close. We, I think we're just about at the end here. Let's close it again. Um, you know, we've talked about this connection between religiosity, especially when we're talking about theocratic rule uh, and this sort of zealotry that's happening now and things like human oppression. We, we referenced the, the LGBTQ plus community quite a bit because that is the point of the spear right now, right? They really, it's really focused on them. Um, but it's also gender and, and masculinity and all that. We, you know, we, we could untangle so much of it uh, and how it relates to war, right? Because ultimately what happens if you don't stop this stuff early, it turns into literal hot conflicts. And we're seeing that. And so the moral arc of the universe might be whatever it is, but in a pragmatic sense, what are we seeing? What are we actually experiencing? That's what we've got to keep our eyes on. And what we're seeing is an extremely dangerous global movement and threat to our peace and security and prosperity and our and human flourishing. And so that's what we have to focus on. And that, that is our cause here. And um, I don't know if you have any closing thoughts about that before we end the show. Just to say that I don't think it's ever been more dangerous. I don't think the forces of evil and uh, oppression have ever been more powerful than they are right now. And at the same point, uh, we have the capacity, if we can just get our heads right about these ideas and, and, and really pin the tail on the donkey, okay? And I don't mean, I know the donkeys are associated with Democrats, but I'm just talking about the old game, you know, the old party game that... I don't know if this generation even knows about that, but we got, this is religious, magical thinking. That is what is destroying the world. And we have to fight it at every level. And with that, remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, check out our Patreon, and tell your friends to listen. New episodes post Mondays at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Joe Kipinti. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. Secular podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, and Joe Okipinti. Logo and main title design by Tim Stetner. 
post-production and original theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti.